Welcome everybody to the Faking Notes Notes. Podcast. Podcast, 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 podcast. Okay, so we got other things going on in the music world today. We just, in our previous episode, we're talking about hit piece uh, and NFTs and is that something you should be worried about and talking through a lot of those other issues. Now, another one huge in the world going on at the same time, your boy, Spotify, <laughs> and old Joe Rogan, lots of controversies. So I think before we get into this kind of open conversation, one, disclaimer, we do not have all the necessary information. It is an evolving scene and uh, blah, 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 blah. And so the current date is February 10th, 2022. Who knows if you know Joe Rogan gets in a white Bronco and starts wearing gloves and murdering people. Like We don't know where this is going <laughs> to go now, but this is just a time, a little time piece for right now uh, about Spotify in general, the pros, the cons, podcasting. Who thought that <laughs> for weeks, every every news outlet, every bit of discourse um, in this post, like uh, in the the in air quotes post Trump era, that we were going to spend so much time talking about a podcast. So <laughs> here we are. I mean, he's leading the charge. What's really interesting is like. You know, he's been one of the OG podcasters for 11, 12 years, right? And much of what he did was when nobody was listening. But that stuff is still on wax. And I'm sure, like, okay, let's just say in, like, five years, our podcast goes mega huge and Spotify wants to pay us $100 million, right? Inevitable, you know. I'm sure there – yeah, definitely. (laughs) I'm sure there's some stuff that I said in, like, maybe our first 15 or 20 episodes – that could be problematic in five years. So just it, for the sake of joking and everything, it's like we, we what we talked about fistulas, bro. Like, dude, you know, like the big we were, fistula, we were goofing. The big fistula lobby is going to come after us with both of their assholes. Both they're of gonna, them. They're going to tear you some new assholes. Double the power. <laughs> they're going to give us two assholes. Yeah. So I think. That is that is one that is one thing to be said, right? But also, this isn't just about Joe Rogan, right? This is about a broader conversation of what it meet, what Spotify, the role Spotify occupies. It's a continuing conversation of how Spotify interacts with the people that make its platform one of the most valuable music streaming services in the world: musicians, right? And so maybe we should kind of start there. I I wanted to just say, you know, shout us out, give a little plug. If you haven't listened to episode 74 with Dylan Witherow about Spotify strategy, that is a wonderful, wonderful episode to give a little bit of a background of a person who has leveraged their music and their production skills to earn over a million monthly listeners on Spotify and how you could do the same. And, uh, I think that that in and of itself is an anomaly. And with the numbers like those, it kind of highlights the problem. Our boy is like maybe making three grand a month from Spotify after a million people listening to his music. Isn't that wild? It's crazy. And I think something that kind of also like, becomes overarching for this whole conversation is something Dylan pointed out as a a positive aspect. 
of Spotify. Honestly, they could be able to, you know, pay a little bit more. Yeah, you bit. know, it's you know, just a little, a little bit, bit more. Like just recently, um, besides giving uh, Joe Rogan, you know, over a hundred million dollars or whatever that is, and then they're they're doling out sponsorships everywhere. Mm-hmm. I can't remember if it was like Real Madrid or one of the one of the other big big uh, football clubs, you know, you know, Manchester United, Man City, one of those, giving like th- over three hundred million dollars. So. If you're going to be doing big brand deals like that, you tell me you can't give another point zero zero zero, you know, four cents to people. But with Spotify, it's easy to poo-poo on the numbers because of how present they are, what they've done to the industry, and how they pay and treat their artists. But I th- we've all kind of heard a lot of these complaints, and so I think it'd be interesting to hear some of these other takes as, as in a brief recap of that episode with Dylan Witherill. So one of the things that kind of stood out to me from that episode, which is what, almost a year ago it, or approximately mm-hmm. a year ago mm-hmm. is that Spotify is like, you got to kind of like stop treating it like a music platform necessarily, or like a streaming platform and start treating it like social media, because that's what it is. It is an exposure platform to your music. It's web two. It's it's web two. Uh, you're getting on. You're getting editorials. You're getting on playlist. You're winding up in people's ears, and so you're not. Are you getting much money from that? No. Does is Spotify getting much money from that? Yes and no. Somehow they're always losing money, but their CEO is running around like a big old asshole um, on private jets and stuff. Like I don't know, but it's this weird thing to where we're treating Spotify like legacy media, like it's the radio, like it's a record label. But more people are listening to your music. This goes to almost everyone. Way more people are getting exposure to you and your music than ever before. Can I, you, can I hop yeah. on that? Can I hop yeah. on that? The Web2 thing? And, and like as an artist, what is your goal? More butts and seats. Because that's what makes more money. Web2 is never about making more money off of your content. Your content is marketing. Your content is building your social, is building your base, right? So that people can get those, enough of those like Trader Joe's or Costco, you know, samples of like what you do <laughs> so they can go out and get, get your stuff in bulk, you know? And so what I think is really interesting is that you know, we were led to believe that Spotify could be an avenue to earn significant revenue to support yourself as an artist when in actuality, what it did, it Amazoned the whole music industry. It gutted out the core revenue model, which was selling copies of CDs, vinyl. And so what I think we have, I think the mental model of looking at it as web to social media is brilliant, Trevor. And I had never even thought about it until you said that, but it's so true. And what is the equivalent of like maybe reinvigorating the old traditional model of selling your work to rabid fans that want to just own your work? NFTs. So I, I think I think this is like a really great conversation starter because like, yeah, if Spotify's mission was to make this a revenue generating model for artists, they would do that. And they gave Joe Rogan $100 million. And when they got a little bit of uh, 
controversy from Neil Young <laughs> pulling his discography from who else pulled their discography? Joni Mitchell, Mitchell. A couple others are going to happen. The musicians that create the value incentive for Spotify leaving the platform, not even in droves, but in dozens. You know what Spotify did? They're taking a hundred million dollars again to invest in uh in in marketing product creation and and licensing develop developing of music and audio con- content from historically mar- marginalized groups that's missing the whole fucking point why are you throwing this money just pay artists more you got 100 the, million more dollars to throw what is that it's the NFL Kaepernick it's like they booted him out he got he got uh demonetized in the NFL <laughs> Good and then, analogy. and then they like you know, two or three years later, came back and were like, gave like you know, insane amount of money, you know, a nine figure situation. Same thing as Spotify, but it's like a lot of people still protested that because it's like, yo, that wasn't that wasn't the point. That's not the point. That wasn't the point. Like, thank you for your money, <laughs> but you're not gonna get a pat on the back necessarily for doing something you always should have been doing and then still not rectifying the original scenario. Here's another thing though. Like does the thing is is like this is how companies get away with wrongdoing is because they take advantage of the average American's perception of what monetary value is. One thing is you need to do when you are thinking about money is stop thinking in absolute dollar amounts and think in percentages. The annual revenue for Spotify, the company reported in 2021, the full fiscal year, Spotify brought in $10.9 billion. Okay. So that investment of $100 million into artists is not even 1% of that. It's 0.1% of that total <laughs> revenue. 0.1% does not is is not even... Okay, so what they say in investing is like you should invest 1% of your capital into really risky plays. They don't even view minorities and underrepresented groups as a risky play. That is the cost of doing business. 0.1%, my guy? That's a tax write-off. That's a tax write-off. So they're not feeling pain from this. But the average American, to imagine average American, consumer, middle class, 100 million seems like a lot. Seems like an adequate slap on the wrist. Wow, they really care. No. Anything less than $2 billion is a slap, is, is an insult. The NFL example, they're making $10 billion a year. And then they give out this tiny number. It's a big number. It looks huge. But it's like, yo, that wasn't the point. That was not, that wasn't the point. Thank you. Uh, we'll take it. But, you know, come on. Don't get a, a pat on the back. So with Spotify being social media, mm-hmm. I think what Dylan Witherow to find success, it's not like he was going on tour all the time or necessarily trying to get tons and tons and tons of fans or treating it in a traditional sense. He recognized that this is a tool just like everything else, just like social media is, and then you just need to understand it and use the tool effectively. If you're running around with a hammer – uh, it's not going to do much use if you don't have any nails or you don't recognize that the hammer is useful for 
driving this piece of metal in there to stick pieces of wood together. Otherwise, you're just running around like a crazy person. You need to figure <laughs> out what the tool is useful for and then find effective methods uh, to utilize it. Spotify is just social media for sound. And <sighs> you need to treat it as such. What is social media but your branding, your marketing? Your music is reaching more people or has the ability to reach more people than ever before. Because before, what were you going to do? You're going to go out, you have to sign some deal to get some album made, to have it wind up, hopefully it hits the shelves in some store. You're competing against everyone. Someone has to buy that CD, buy that record, take it home. And while, yes, you would have got a higher percentage of, of that sale for sure for that CD, you'd have reached 10 people maybe. You'd have had to do so much more. Whereas now, uh, with some relatively easy, easy, easy things you can do, you can put it on YouTube, you can put it on Spotify, you can put it on Facebook, you can reach hundreds of thousands of people with relative ease that you never could before. If you wanted something on the radio, you didn't just send it to them and they like it. You had to have a deal with someone who had it with the radio. You were you were hit with gatekeepers. You had to pay them. You had to pay them. Payola, and so baby. now it cost be it's kind of this weird thing because it really does cost you less to do things to to break through. You can with just GarageBand, you know, it comes in on your computer, a focus right, a cheap little sure mic, and a dream. Know, one, and a dream. <laughs> you can win Grammys. Look at Billie Eilish and a bro uh, uh, place. Like just just like look at that place. That's a different conversation. Yeah, but like just like look <laughs> at the photo of that bedroom that they that they were like doing where they would create all this stuff in. That is the starter pack. For what everyone owns, everyone's little set when they're like 15. Yeah, there's other other stuff obviously goes into it. But still, look at the photo and you see the videos of where she's just singing into And like it, it works. They won a slew of Grammys with the basic pack you can buy on Amazon. Come on. And so, yes, it's more goes into reaching that tier of success, but still. Access to make music, access to knowledge about music has been getting better each and every single day. In turn, <laughs> people's access to your music has been also getting better and driving down the cost of them to interact with you. You can reach so many people and make so little off your music now that everyone can kind of do it. And so it is this weird catch-22 situation. So what do we do about that with Spotify? Obviously, you learn, you release more things. Like these are some strategies from Dylan, Dylan Witherow. He's like, I need to be here. It also generates him actual money. But that's what, that is the tool that exposes people to him. And then you just need effective methods to get people to move on towards your other bigger money makers. Hmm. That is no different than the past. How we go about it, very different. But that's no different than if you were a touring artist in the 70s. You have people hear it on the radio, great. You need them to come to your shows. You need them to buy your merch. You need them to buy your CDs. You can still do these things now. It's, it should be even easier. Their, expose, their exposure to you is in this digital age. So hmm. it's this odd tool, and just like all social media, there's some good things. There's plenty of bad things to be on the lookout for. Mm -hmm. It's interesting. Mm -hmm. I, I really want to 
just highlight exactly what you said in that this is a tool, right? But this is not the platform. And what's really fascinating is you see the value of network effects playing out in real time, right? It's it's kind of like a chicken and egg scenario, right? Like if there were no listeners, artists would not want to be on the platform. But if there were no artists on the platform, listeners don't want to be where the artists are, right? So you have to recognize your value and your power as an artist and realizing that by nature of you making art and existing somewhere, you are creating value, right? We're not taught that. We're not told that. And often to the contrary, we are taken advantage of for that, right? So it's important to remember that where you're putting your life energy, where you're putting your effort, the Spotify game is not where you want to end up. It's where you want to begin. And that's like a very different very different approach uh, to what is uh, the current zeitgeist. But that's why Web3 is so powerful because it's kind of, you know, if you look, do a little bit of research, the majority of artists make their money from touring. If you are a professional artist, like artist, not like a musician like me, like I don't make money from being an artist yet, but I make money as a musician for artists. So, but artists themselves that tour and, 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 and perform, they make their money from touring. They don't make it from streaming. Streaming money like maybe pays for gas on the tour and <laughs> some fast food, right? But it's the, the real money making is like the, the actual, the sell of merch, merchandise, materializing the tokens of your brand for your community to consume, right? But notice like, a token is a t-shirt. A token is like a mug. It's like a headband. It's like a hoodie, right? But with non-fungible tokens, NFTs, you can actually create exclusive versions of the songs that you've made or new songs you've never released before that your audience can own and flip amongst themselves. And every time your your audience flips that that song or sells that vinyl or, or resells it, you get a little bit of a kickback based off of the smart contracts. And so it's this whole new world of possibility. Imagine like, imagine like you were back in the 20th century and you made 30,000 vinyl that all sold out. Right. And then you win a Grammy 10 years later and all of the value of that original vinyl of your iconic album goes up super in value and people they're doing garage sales and they're flipping they're they're selling your vinyl that person who picked up your vinyl for five bucks is now selling it to a record store for 30 bucks arbitraging it the record store is now selling your vinyl for 47 dollars and the cycle continues and it's changing hands seven eight twelve times that artist isn't making any of that resale value in the 20th century, but in the 21st century, it, it they can. That you can make money off of all of the resells of your art, which is phenomenal. And it's not to say that owning that little token, owning that tokenized vinyl, that could actually translate to a real vinyl in the real world, right? Like exchanging that token can afford you rights of like, automatic VIP, 
or first dibs to new sales of new vinyls or new sales of other limited releases, right? So the the possibilities are really up to the imagination, but there is so much value that can be created. Uh, and it solves a lot of these problems that Spotify and Web2 kind of present, which is just kind of like the capitalistic exploitation of people's labor uh, without a uh, an, uh, an inflow of capital that reflects the the work that people are doing to build these uh, valuable platforms. So it's, it's profound. And in this day and age now, we're going to be, as we kind of go through this slow, long transition from web two to web three, there's going to be a lot of overlap. There's going to be a lot of handholding. And the reality is <laughs> people look at numbers, they look at web two, and that's how gigs happen. Uh, if someone came up to Drew and I and would say, hey, we've got a product, we want you to sell it to your audience. They're going to look at my reach, which is just the two people in this call, and they're gonna be like, wow, that's not gonna, it's not gonna hit a lot of people. And they like, they don't trust you. Have you ever sold anything before? No, I'm gonna get Spotify level money to go out and promote this product. Whereas Lol. Drew has like a much bigger audience and they've cultivated and there's track records and like those, those numbers help. Whereas you go to someone with 10 million followers and then a hundred billion, like you're going like those numbers actually do have like real world impacts on like what you can do with them. And so Spotify is the exact same. So we're bumping into it where there's big name artists. They're leaving Spotify. We've got Joni Mitchell, Neil Young. Uh, I'm sure there will be more uh, after, you know, it's, it's February 10th, 2020. There's probably going to be more. They're storming off because of the Joe Rogan thing, which we'll circle back to. But they can do that. They can do whatever they want. They are in that ability. They're, you know, the, will they lose some money? Yes, yeah, sure. They've made their money. They're fine. So many people can't do that. You need to go where the listeners are. You want to be playing in that. If you're able to make that stand, pull your music, sure, you know, go for it. Excellent for you. But of course, we don't want to criticize those who, who can't because of things like these numbers or of access to this exposure. It's hard to hit this many people like in, in the world with your sounds than you can with Spotify. You're going to have to go to some other shitty company, <laughs> Facebook or whatever, and pay them Facebook ad money, give, give money to Zuckerberg. For instance, Adam Neely, he was even mentioning this. He's like, hey, we need Spotify because – while he's got lots of numbers in one area, you know, on YouTube, Instagram, and he's funny on Twitter, and you know, he's, he's he's doing great work out there. It's not like that directly translates to his band Sungazer, you know, some like crazy jazz fusion thing. When they're trying to go book gigs, and I think he, this is on Twitter, I think the example is like St. Louis. They're not going to be like, "Wow, you have a lot of YouTube views on your educational content." That's going to get people. No, they are looking at the Spotify numbers in the area to determine. Is this a worthy stop on our tour? Are there enough people aware of us who listen to us who are likely to show up to this? They are looking at the Spotify numbers. If he leaves Spotify, he's cutting off his leg in order to go out and and go out into these fields. Spotify, just like social media, it gives us access. It gives us data. Well, you also I, a little bit of a pushback. Maybe it also incentivizes, you know, a more central location 
where that you have ownership of, right? Maybe you have a website where you feature samples of your NFTs and you build up an email list and then you commit, you conduct surveys. It's like, hey, if you give me some of your basic information, you know, uh, like where you live, like what, what what's your favorite album, yada, 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 I will send you a coupon redeemable for a free ticket, right? And that could be a really cool ad campaign to like own some of the data or the aggregation to get you off of Spotify. But it does require more work. Like Spotify is convenient. And unfortunately, human nature is let's do the easiest thing. Let's just do the easiest thing instead of the thing that's right. And and it's like until you're that big name artist who can go out and, you know, you leaving the platform makes like national news. It's just like understanding like what's your within your comfort level or like how are you just going to go about any situation? Amazon, just a lot of very shitty things. I fucked over a lot of companies. They've changed the world. They also have the best return policy. <laughs> Something's broken. They they just refund you the money. No hassle. I'm not getting on the phone with anyone. They're like, oh, we're sorry. We'll send you a new one or refund it. Also, that's free. They deliver it quicker. It can tell on a map where that's going to arrive. It's hard to leave that when you don't have a ton of money. Would I like to, if, if there's something not urgent, sure, I'll buy it off another platform. But if you need something now and it's, it's hard for you to leave the house, you're busy, you're strapped on cash. Like you're gonna go through the path of least resistance. Take stands where we can. I can't, uh, Greta Thunberg, I can't get on a boat to do my travels. Like I just, I need to fly. I can't afford to be on that boat. At the time, it's not within my abilities, but I try to do the right thing when I, when I can and where I can. Is that the best thing to do? No, <laughs> but there's, similar with Spotify and where you get into these like, stickier situations you know we want to recycle we want to take better care of the earth all the all these other various aspects on like the moral side of things i guess the concept of i can't remember if it's called like effective altruism so altruistic being altruistic is doing something you know, taking on suffering i'm not doing a great job of the textbook definition whatever it is but like being w worried about everyone else you know going in there essentially almost to some degree embracing your suffering for the the betterment of of others of of all and so the idea is if I had, you know, a hundred million uh, or $100,000, just I have $100,000 in the bank, one, that'd be awesome. Two, the altruistic, the like pure altruistic thing will be like, oh, I believe I don't want to, I want to solve hunger in my community. I'm going to take all that out, all the money, I'm going to give it to the community. And then I'm just going to live like a hermit. I'm going to have zero dollars. I'm going to starve myself and die. I've given away all my money, but at least I made impact. That isn't as effective in the long run or as helpful than if you continue to work, go about your day, and gave away 10% every year for the rest of your life. You meet your needs so that you're healthy enough to like work, contribute, create a new product, just work a regular job. You make 60000 a year, you give away 10000 10, Wow, what a big percentage. That's, that's incredible. You give away 10,000 a year, you do that for 30 years. You've helped more people. You've contributed more in the long run than giving away that $100,000 all at once. And that is a more effective altruistic 
uh, outtake uh, on life that will lead to greater results. You will be of greater contribution to society by meeting your needs and then sharing a lot off of the uh, the top. So when it comes to the annoying things like this Spotify, buying things on Amazon Prime, sticking around on social media platforms, even though we know the bad. <laughs> if you're aware of these things, you're not some evil person for sticking around and being involved with this. You can use it effectively towards your altruism. I want Drew and Daniel to be famous and to make lots of money and to go out and create lots of products because, and or create good, because I feel like with these people who I enjoy, people I believe in, people I trust in, that over the course of their life, they will contribute far more greater good than taking some, you know, a particular moral stance on Spotify and like leaving that, like having this exposure, you know, the podcast goes to Spotify. It's not our main platform. Mostly it's on Apple Podcasts. Uh, YouTube's not perfect. The stuff goes on YouTube. Uh, we feel like being able to grow ourselves and like use these tools for now in order to get towards that later objective. If we're able to get bigger and, you know, give an extra 10%, give an extra 10%. When you're much bigger, that it's going to make greater impact in the long term than if we restricted ourselves now on these grounds, but then never were able to make any impact. Who knows? 30 years down the road, we might leave some platform because they're doing something shitty. And then that will actually really matter. It, it could actually have some impact rather than doing it now. So that's a little weird little rant tirade on the long-term long side of these things. But it's certainly something I at least try to think about when I'm looking at, again, why does this matter? Does this actually affect me? What are we thinking about the situations and the current reality of things? What are your thoughts, Drew? I'm I'm thinking that it's it's probably time that we like talk about why Spotify's in like it, I mean cuz these problems with Spotify not paying enough to musicians and being kind of a toxic employer of like some musicians is is not new. I mean the unions have been like fighting hard and losing when it comes to streaming rights and revenues and stuff like that. So uh the reason why is cuz Neil Young pulled his discography because he didn't want to share the same platform as Joe Rogan and Joe Rogan's misinformation around the vaccine debate, you know, and it's really, it's really interesting because it brought a lot of attention back on to Joe Rogan after being acquired exclusively by Spotify for a hundred million dollars, which is, like we said, actually, not really much compared to their uh, their annual revenue, <laughs> even though they, they had like a $39 million loss last year. Um, so that means they spent more than $10.9 billion in revenue on initiatives. This was one of them. Now, it's really interesting. I was, I, I, Joe Rogan has definitely a history of saying, you know, very controversial things. And I've listened to him for a few years now and I find him I, I like him you know I, I like a lot of uh, the a lot of the nuance and context and if you listen to his his shows he's a great listener he's nuanced he's a critical thinker in a lot of ways but he's imperfect like all of us 
and I don't believe everything he believes. And as a black person, I really don't think he has a ton of empathy or understanding of the black experience in spite of having many black friends and many uh, black scholars on his show. Uh, Just certain comments about, you know, black communities and the black experience really shows that he has like a lot of privilege that, and not a lot of empathy for that perspective. And so what's really interesting is that he was saying a lot of problematic things and they're coming to light. You know, it's not just him saying the N word or talking about, you know, going to a black movie theater and calling it the planet of the apes early on, super early on in his podcast career. It's also that like, you know, he has a history of like misogynistic jokes and, and things like that. that are really problematic all for the sake of comedy. And, we just have to remember that like you can disagree with somebody vehemently, but you don't have to hate them. And I think that that's like an important nuance that is kind of being missed from this, from this uh, conversation. Because if you listen to a lot of his podcasts, like he does bring up a lot of really important issues. He's had important conversations over the course of 12 years and literally hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds like over 1400 podcasts i don't even know what he's at right now he drops like five a week or so so it's it's there's a problem with like selective and being on the internet and and having everything you do and everything you say recorded in perpetuum and put down as wax so it's a nuanced conversation i'm curious what you think trevor like about the whole controversy should musicians leave Spotify in solidarity to like say, this is not okay. Or should there just be more teachable moments and conversations had? It's such a wild thing that just seems to entirely lack nuance. And I think you, you put it really well. Like there's, it's like, we have to, we'd have to spend like a Joe Rogan length podcast to like talk about, this 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 Joe Rogan situation because I gotta kick out what what kind of like kicked this off too specifically with the Neil Young thing like why I left is because Joe Rogan had on two particular super you know anti-vax people who it's like oh well they're experts they have doctor in front of their name and whatever and like there's all these things but like you know they're pretty widely discredited but he gave voice to these people and so Neil Young. I think it was a polio survivor. So like the importance of vaccines is very much on his mind. Like the last major vaccine that we've had to like deal with in the States. And so he's like, I don't want to be on a, you know, a platform that pays so much money to some guy who's spreading this. And so then they pull out and then, you know, Neil Young's controversial himself and then whatever. I think one of the things that's just like good to good to look at. And this is before like people going back and finding the problematic uh, comments about black people and women and literally everything else is that just watch, go on and just like watch Joe Rogan's little like apology video. It's like eight minutes or something. It's just posted on Instagram. You can kind of (laughs) see remnants of a a person who just was 
never meant to be or never expected the kind of platform and reach he had. Like I remember watching it and I'm like, oh, this is kind of like a nice, like I felt like a non-corporate like apology video being like, he's like, yeah, like he like admitted he was like wrong. He's like, yeah, like you know, I brought on these, these people, you know, they're expert, like I think it's good to hear lots of opinions. You know, it's a statement most people can agree with. And that he's like, well, I should have had on other people, other experts on there. And he has. He has had mm-hmm. uh, some other people on there. But that's, you know, not what grabs the the attention. Mm-hmm. And so it's just this really weird, um, yeah, yeah, Sanjay Gupta, like, coming on there, like, a uh, great example. Uh, but he, he like, Joe was, like, admitting fault. He's like, hey, I should have had them on, like, closer to it. And... He, you know, maybe could have pressed some of these these uh, other people on there, more of the problematic people on there. But you watch his apology video, and you kind of see the averageness of Joe Rogan. And so the thing is, with most of these scenarios, when something blows up, it's just like go towards the source. It's like both the defenders of Joe Rogan and the the anti Joe Rogan crowd. It just it just seems blown up to like political level portions like this is a 10 out of 10 scenario fire when in reality it's it's like i don't know a five out of 10 whatever it is on the scale it's it's a much smaller situation when you're able to filter out the outrage noise from both sides and both sides are, and this isn't i'm not trying to both side or this like oh they're both bad and like they're both wrong but it's the it seems like the level of extremity um seems like very high in that Everything I'm seeing from all these different angles of the discourse around him, it's like none of them are are helping each other or listening to each other. And now that doesn't mean we have to kumbaya with a bunch of alt-right people who are treating him like God now, and then he'll bring on someone else and they'll treat him like, say, and I don't think that means that you know we're going to find something in the middle, like that every issue has some middle ground. But it just seems that like so much of the discourse is just far beyond the actual scenario. The critique of Joe Rogan, though, is fair enough, is that, you know, with great power comes responsibility. So everyone, you know, they're running around like free speech, free speech, free speech. There's obviously consequences and that one of the biggest downsides of power, particularly of fame and of reach, is that you're going to lose some of that. Like that is your trade-off. Yeah, you can't. You can't be saying stuff. Mm -hmm. Elon Musk, when he goes out and tweets, ha ha 420 stock price, the FEC is going to come ream him. If I tweet, ha ha Tesla 420 stock price, no one cares. I don't have any Mm -hmm. power. He was the CEO slash president or whatever. Like he doesn't get to say that. He doesn't get to yell fire uh, in the Tesla factory. That's what I was going to say is like yelling fire in the theater. That's free speech, but that could get people killed. Yeah. And it's not protected – yeah, and so the only – and that's – yeah, like the other funny thing about free speech. So the the key aspect is that it protects like the government from silencing you, not individual companies, not other thing. It's like specific to like the the government can't come and necessarily like shut you down. But it is illegal to yell fire. Not only is it bad form, if you go yell fire in the theater, it is is illegal. That is a crime. If you yell bomb at the airport – that is illegal. It's a fucking crime. They are going to fuck yeah. you up. Like That's you can't true. print libel. You can't lie mm-hmm. about someone on there. Like mm-hmm. there's so many asterisks to it. And while yeah, it's it's not legal. You can go say it over in the podcast. I think it's that he'll. It's the slow understanding that oh, I'm not just some bro comedian, millions. MMA 
fighter guy to taking shrooms on my goofy little podcast. I'm the biggest podcaster on the face of the planet. Tens of millions of people listening to you. And when you are dealing with a global pandemic, a global health crisis where people that are immunocompromised, people who can't get the vaccine for some reason, are depending on others to do it, to get the vaccine, to stem the spread of this thing that has killed more people than even the Civil War. This is the largest casualty event for Americans in our history, I believe. Like single casualty. It's and more still going. than it's it's more than the Spanish flu. Uh it's like four times as many uh as world soldiers that died in World War II. Um it's more than Vietnam, more than the Civil War, bro. Like that is fucking insane, dude. Everybody who died in the Civil War was an, an American. And there's over 600,000 Americans that died. We're, we're pushing 800,000. Getting close we're, to a we'll million. We'll cross a million once this is over. Yeah. A like million it's... people, bro. That's like, that's fucking insane. And it's just because, you know, we, we, we use freedom as like this catch-all term to encapsulate that I can do whatever I want, even if it negatively impacts you. And that's kind of like an, that's kind of like antisocial. We as a community have a responsibility to each other. And this kind of ties into his responsibility with his power. He has a, he has a whole audience and he needs to be responsible to his audience and for his audience. And, you know, this also goes into like him using the N word. And this is what mm -hmm. I'm going to say. As an African American, I believe that I'm qualified to have an opinion on this. If you are not African American, you cannot use the N word. Period. End of story. I better not hear you using around me. If you do, I reserve the right to never speak to you again. And that's just all there is to it because it shows ignorance. It shows disrespect for the history of my people and the current reality of my people uh, and their, their situation, their economic dis despaired situation uh, because of a system that was created around this idea that we're not even worth three fifths of a person, you know? So that, that history is, is not cool. And, Look, I mean, I don't even say the N-word around white people because I don't want them getting the wrong idea. Around my black people, I reserve the right to use it whenever I like, which is very rarely, but it's it's nice for a little bit of comedy. And it sounds great in rap music. So, look, <laughs> that is our right, and let us just have that, okay? Let, let us have that. Let us have rap. Don't say the N-word. That's it. Full stop. Full stop. The, yeah, with the Joe Rogan podcast situation, it's like I, I get the appeal of why they listen to him because it, it stood out. The, listening in on someone's conversation for three hours about two people, either goofing off, shooting the shit, or some interesting person who was going out and working out uh, and like, you know, doing weird workouts or some MMA fighter or they're doing shrooms or whatever. It, it, it's like this kind of weird call to, 30 somethings men 
like it's a super masculine thing, like smoky room. It's the cigar smoky room of the past. And like, yeah, he, we're going to go eat, you know, hunt deer and eat venison and like talk and do stuff. And so it's kind of filled somewhat of that void. Uh, you see a lot of, you know, Jordan Peterson fans and, and others, and then huge bro culture. And he's kind of become one of the faces of that. And so it's neat having spaces for people. It's, it's interesting hearing some of these, some of the, those, those episodes. I don't, I don't frequent, I don't really listen to it anymore, but um, just like hearing in these conversations, but it's no longer the smoky little room. We evolve with the times going through and with that perception of knowledge, be like, wait a minute. You could like some aspects of that, of him, of like who he is. But I think it's just like with Trump and the kind of like push towards the extremities of political things is that everything's now all or nothing. And like, that's probably the trickiest part. So these alt-right people who hate probably a lot of what Joe Rogan has said and done too. Now he's, he's the white knight, you know, he's got on the armor. He's, he's the one going out and sticking it to legacy media, blah, blah, blah. And then they're going to hate him. And then the other side's just like, we should burn him at the stake. And when it's just, it's kind of like a very powerful person, a kind of like a, a goofy comedian who like says dumb shit a lot of the times and like takes shrooms and eats meat, who's just became more powerful than he ever should have been. Last thing I want to say is learn about American history. And when I say American history, I mean African-American history because that is American history. America wouldn't be what it is if it didn't get 400 years worth of relatively free labor that bolstered the economy. Man, dude, slaves are great for the economy. They're great for capitalism. They're great. They're amazing. But they're bad for individual human beings and their ability to grow and become self-actualized. And so uh, if you do that, if you go down that rabbit hole and you just kind of understand that people who say, I don't see color, up until the moment that you want to move All the next time. door. It, it just, it's literally a convenience for them until you end up in their backyard and they have a problem with you. And if you do not share my skin tone, you will never understand until you learn and read. And we've been saying this for centuries. I don't care who it was, Martin Luther King, Malcolm X, W.E. Du Bois, you know, Fred Hampton, you know, we've all been saying the same thing. And so you won't get it until you do your research. And so until then, and in perpetuum, don't say the N word. That's all I got to say about that. And like, I can, I can feel that way. And I can really, really, really dislike Joe Rogan for saying that, but I don't hate him as a person. And I think he has good intentions for the most part. His apology, I accept it personally. But, you know, I care more about what he's going to do in the future and if he really lives up to what he says. And I do think he has done good. It's not all bad. So, you know, how's that for some nuance, Trevor? It's beautiful. It's beautiful. <laughs> Got to learn the history, the history of power, the history of race. It is American history. And one funny summary of a TikTok to wrap this up specifically on that point. 
because it was it was hilarious. So Amy's watching TikTok, and then there was some TikTok that was like, you know, explain white culture. And so then this, you know, it cuts. It's a duet, and this like funny white lady, she's like, ranch, buttermilk ranch, and you know, we're all laughing. And then it cuts to that lady later, and she's losing it. She's just laughing, and she's like, so I I went to look up just to make sure, you know, that like that. Like even if that was true, and then she points to the guy who invented ranch, buttermilk ranch. He's black, so <laughs> she's like, she's like, we don't have anything. We didn't invent anything. We don't. Even, we didn't even invent ranch. Like, <laughs> dude, that is so funny. That is so American funny. as yeah. fuck, dude. Everything yeah. you think a white man yeah. did, it's actually just a yeah, brother. Yeah. Even the light bulb, this brother, yeah. Louis Latimer, developing the tungsten filament, banjos. That- Banjos. Banjos. It's African. Like it's African, bro. But yeah, like the buttermilk ranch. Uh, that is thanks for hilarious. listening. Thanks for listening, everybody. <laughs> buttermilk ranch. Thank you for sponsoring this episode. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's brought to you by Hidden Valley. <laughs> <laughs> thanks for listening, right, everybody. Peace out, y'all. Peace.